Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. With the bird dog or with the rabbit dog, they need some solo time. They can't be relying on the other parts of the pack. You know, if you if you don't do nothing but run that young dog with a pack, will he be a good dog? Well, he could be, but he's not going to be as good as he could be if you give him some solo time because he's not going to have the confidence and the abilities that he would have if you let him run by himself sometimes. Why does it usually form or function when it comes to shotguns? You either hear about the looks or craftsmanship of this shotgun, while that shotgun over there in the corner hasn't been cleaned in two seasons, but supposedly fits and shoots like a dream. Why can't it be both? This is what Upland Gun Company does. They take your own personal measurements and will construct the very shotgun that should handle like a dream while getting you the looks and custom features that only you can decide on. Whether it's a side-by-side -side or over-under, English stock or full pistol grip, custom engravings such as your dog's portrait, even down to selecting the wood grain on your stock. Head on over to UplandGunCompany.com and build the dream gun that you would carry in the field with your dog for many seasons. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. My guest this week is Brian Steister. Uh, we are here to finally talk about rabbit dogs. It's been a topic that I've been trying to uh, get on the podcast for quite some time, but Brian honestly doesn't just do rabbit dogs. So, Brian, I'm going to go ahead and just let you introduce yourself and kind of tell everybody what, what it is that you do and what kind of dogs you run and where you live and all, all that fun stuff. Sounds good. Uh, my name is Brian Steister. Uh, I live in uh, southwest Wisconsin, little town Marina about 30 miles west of Madison along the Wisconsin River. Uh, I do run some rabbit dogs. I also uh, train uh, retrieving and flushing breeds for uh, as gun dogs, and I run a few HRC hunt tests and a few uh, AKC field trials. Um, I currently have, let's see, two beagles, two Boykin Spaniels, three Labradors, and I'm currently all out of pointing dogs. I had a couple pointing dogs get old on me and pass away, so I'm in the market for another pointing dog. But other than that, that's the 
along with my wife Schnauzer, that's the full kennel. <laughs> so it sounds like you're kind of like me. You're just kind of inflicted with a uh, addiction to dogs because it doesn't sound like you can make up your mind on which route you want to take. Well, all my versatile friends, buddies uh, in NAVDA, uh, I tell them the definition of versatility is not per- particularly good at any one thing. It drives them nuts. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so I, got, I, got, I got a tool for everything, but uh, um, we do a lot of waterfowl hunting here. We do a lot of upland game hunting. We got a lot of grouse and woodcock to the north, you know, and, and uh, my rabbit dogs, uh, I run cottontails here. Uh, occasionally I'll get up and run some snowshoe hares up north, but these are not snowshoe hare dogs. They are definitely cottontail dogs. Mm. And for for those listening that maybe didn't even know that there was a difference between cottontails and, and, and hares, can, can you kind of explain the difference in them and and how they act? Are they, are they different in just habitat or are they different on how they run and and all that stuff? Yeah, there's a lot of differences. So the dogs that I settle on that I currently run, they, they, they are an, uh, a, probably a, a medium to upper medium speed dog with very good line control, uh, and they bark quite a bit. Uh, the guys that run the hare hounds up north, um, they're running dogs that are quite a bit faster. Uh, they're more of a head-up running dog, and uh, you'll see a pack of hare hounds come by, and they might be three dogs wide like a NASCAR race. <laughs> you know, and they come, they come around the bend, and they're, they're, they might be – three foot off the track and just just banging on the track, just barking every breath where the cottontail dogs I run, when, when, when they're running wide open, they're going to be nose to tail, kind of like a train, you know, and uh, they look like a caterpillar going along, you know, when the, when the, when they make a loss, you could probably throw a blanket over the area of the check where when those hare hounds, make a loss it's like a half acre field you know so so there's a lot of differences and and as far as styles of rabbit dogs you can go from slow brace dogs that it take them a half hour to cross your living room to them <laughs> hair hog dogs you know and they, they, they they're going like their they, their tails are on fire and everything in between so there's so many different styles and types of beagles along with venues to play rabbit dog games i mean there are just a plethora of trials and tests that you can do with the dogs. And you want to have, you know, you want your dog to fit that mold. So it's, you know, they're competitive with what the dogs you're running with. You know, you don't want to bring a, a, a hare hound to a, a small pack option trial. You, you, you're not going to do well. And I don't want to take my, my small pack option dogs up there and try to run them hair dogs. Cause I'm going to get run out of the gym, you know? Right. And so you got to have the right tool for the trade and, and, you know, I look at it like this. I, I don't have my dogs to trial, but I do trial them. I have them to hunt. And most of the time, the days I hunt when I can hunt, when, when, when time allows it. And I would say that the highest percentage of those times are not optimal hunting conditions. And so I need a dog that can kind of grind out on the tough days and still be productive you know and so that's how i why i have the kind of dogs that i got Mm. and you know you said a few things there that i think the average listener myself included uh up to a couple years ago probably don't understand the, the difference right you know to to the outsider that maybe not familiar with rabbit dogs and how you guys go about hunting or trialing we all just see a pack of beagles. Like we all, we all just assume that every pack of beagles kind of operates 
as the other. And then, you know, the thing that kind of sets them apart is maybe use of nose or speed or, or, you know, the intangibles. But, you know, you just broke down a few different things that I wasn't aware of until I started talking to somebody else in person. Uh, He was out running his rabbit dogs and he started breaking stuff down to me just like you did to where, you know, my dogs are more trial dogs. They're not the best in the hunting field. He actually has a separate pack of dogs to go hunting with. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting that you guys are, you know, that they do trials, uh, but maybe not the trial dogs are the best hunting dogs. And, and it it just kind of fascinated me that, that guys would even spend their time trying to trial a bunch of dogs that they couldn't use for both. If that, if that is kind of fair to say or, or makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you, when you're, when your goal is to win the ribbon at the end of the day, you want a dog that is going to shine in that particular moment. And um, I'm looking for a dog when it's January 15th and it's ice and crunchy snow out there. I want to kill a rabbit. So I need a dog that can grind that track out. Now I could take that same dog and run with that field trial guy. And it might be optimal running conditions, nice early morning run bare ground and them rabbits are just making big wide open hard running circles my dog would be mildly competitive with that dog because i'm going to get out run right the same token you take that dog and show up here in south central wisconsin in southwest wisconsin in january and turn him loose on the 15th on that crunchy snow and he's going to look back at you like what am i supposed to do mm-hmm. and so the conditions and your goal i guess is the main thing what is your goal with your dogs and if it's to win the ribbons and the trophies you need a particular kind of dog that gives you the best advantage to do that and if you got gun dogs that you like to go be competitive with well that's a little broader scope of what kind of dog you can run that that you're going to be happy with yeah makes sense let's let's start with the the very basics like i said you know the average listener here is probably unfamiliar with rabbit dogs as as i ultimately am that's why i'm just going to ask a lot of dumb questions probably but let's is there really anybody doing this whether in the trial or hunting side predominantly with a, a breed outside of the beagles or is really beagles kind of the make or break i know some buddies of mine i have one buddy in particular ben he'll he'll get out and he's gotten pretty proficient with hunting rabbits with his draught but i think that's a little bit different style of hunting so in the grand scheme of things in, in terms of pack hunting, is it really the beagle is just king? Well, it, it is. I mean, you know, just the same way you'd see like an AKC retriever field trials are a, la- a Labrador game. There are other dogs that can be mildly competitive, but overall male black Labradors kind of run the show. And when you're looking at horseback field trials, you're looking at mostly big running English pointer males are running it, but there are other breeds that can be kind of competitive in there. Yeah. Beagles are the same way. The big thing with beagles is there are so many different venues to run more than I think most other kinds of dogs. I mean, when you look at like a, a brace dog, a, a traditional brace, they want those dogs to step everywhere that rabbit stepped. And they, they, if they, if they take a step to the left or the right, they're pulled, they're out. And so, and you look at the, 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 the hair hound guys where they're running four wide down through the, there's just, there's just such a plethora of, of, of different games, SPO, 
large pack option, progressive pack. You know, there's just there's just so many. And I'm not versed in all of those. I know that our particular Beagle Club, I think we had a uh, 100-year anniversary last year. Mm. It started out as a brace trial, you know, where everybody sat there and they watched some dogs run for 40 yards and it took a half hour. I mean, some guys love that. I mean, it makes me want to stick a fork in my eye. But, <laughs> but, but it's, you know, different strokes for different folks. I mean, right. uh, when I shoot a rabbit hunting, I don't ever shoot them standing because my dogs are fast up where their dogs are they're where they're running. And some dogs like them a little slower, a little faster. It just, it all depends on what you want and what your goal is. I mean, I've got buddies that haven't shot rabbits in 10 years. They go out and they sit on a tailgate and they turn the dogs loose and they'll sit there for three or four hours drinking a beer, just listening to dogs running. That's, that's what they do. And um, they could kill rabbits over them dogs. They don't. And so it's just, you know, uh, it, it, like my dogs, myself, they're, they're a medium to upper medium speed dog with good line control. Uh, that means they stay pretty tight on where the rabbit went. And when they make that loss, they call it a check. They, they, they work in inside out, meaning they're going to start small and keep expanding their search in circles until they find where the rabbit left. And then they're going to go. Some dogs, when they blow out the end of that track, they're going so fast. By the time they stop barking, they're 40 yards past where the rabbit went. Now <laughs> that makes my blood pressure go up too. If my dog is barking where there ain't no rabbit, I don't like that. And right. some people, you know, they're okay with it. And it's just what you like. And it seems to me like maybe I would like my dogs a step quicker, but every time you take a step in a breeding program in a direction, you're taking a step away from something else. Absolutely. It's a balancing and so, act. Yeah, it's a balancing act. So, so right now I got pretty good speed and pretty good line control. Now, if I try to get a little quicker, I might lose some of that to track. And so instead of actually what you're trying to do is speed it up, you're slowing down because you're spending less time on the track and more time looking when you miss those checks, you know? So you gotta be kinda, you know, for what you like and how you like to do it. And, and, and judges, I mean, when you go to a trial, I don't care if it's for bird dogs or, or, or hounds or whatever, judges, have a different idea in their head sometimes of what they like or what they're looking for than what we as competitors have. And so right. it's not right or wrong. It's just a little different. And I, I've been picked up on trials where I thought my dog was doing pretty dang good. And the judge said, yeah, he just, he wasn't spending enough time in the front. Well, okay. He wasn't in front a lot, but every time that front dog dropped the rabbit, he picked it up and took off with it. And so, and, and so the, that, that particular judge put more emphasis on, running up front than he did carrying the track, mm. you know? And so when you're running a small pack option, like I run, you might have say six dogs in the, in the, in the pack. And, and many judges will start picking dogs up that are causing problems in the front and dogs that are not contributing in the back. And they'll start picking dogs up till they get to the one that won the brakes or, 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 or the pack. And then they'll move that dog on to the next pack. Well, not every judge judges like that. You know, and so it's a, a human element, you know, as opposed to did he do it or did he not do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's there's some of that in the bird dog world as well. Like, there is. Like you alluded to. I mean, yeah. you know, people can sit there and pretend like it's not, but I've been to 
been to a few trials or hunt tests where, you know, the judge's discretion, ultimately, yeah. it, you know, each one's a little different, even though the same rules and standards are supposed to be across the board, uh, the way the preferences or the way they interpret it are, are a little different. And so I find it fascinating that you said that you have two beagles right now, so you have a small pack option. Did I understand it correctly that when you go to a trial, they're essentially taking your dogs and grouping them with other dogs and then kind of judging them with a, a completely foreign or strange group of beagles to your dogs? Does that make any sense at all? Yes. So so, so I run two. I run a small pack option and then I run a gun dog brace. And those are similar kinds of dogs. So what they do is you get to the clubhouse in the morning and they'll run... 15 inch beagles and 13 inch beagles and separate. They don't run them together. So you have 15 inch and 13 inch beagles. And then they, they, they generally won't run the males and the females together, especially in AKC. And so let's say um, generally Saturdays they run the females, 15 inch, 13 inch in separate areas. And then on Sunday they run the males. And so you'll get to the clubhouse, everybody's name goes in the hat and they start drawing out packs. And it depends on how many, total dogs are there as to how many packs they run with how many dogs in it. And, and generally a pack is anywhere from, from four to, to eight dogs. And they might have four packs or they may have 40 packs. And so how that would work is the first pack goes out and they run and the judges want to see the dogs on a rabbit. And the judges, as soon as the dogs start barking, they get all the dogs on the track and they start their judging assignment, which is whittle these dogs down till you got somebody to take to the next pack. And so they'll start picking up dogs as they see fit, and they'll come down to two or three or four dogs left in the pack. And they might do that 40 times. And every time they do that, they, they make notes as to which dogs are going to put into the next pack. So they may have um, they were maybe on a bunch of dogs and they run the, 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 the next series and then they will let down. And then, and each time the amount of dogs that runs is not is less and the amount of packs is less until they get to the winner's pack, which it could be between six and eight, nine dogs in that winner's pack. And then that's the final pack. And then the winner is going to be judged out of that set of dogs. Okay. And, so, again, you you did say that there is a difference between trial dogs and, and hunting dogs. So, uh, somewhat. Somewhat, yeah. And so tell me, if somebody wants to get into this, maybe they're not interested in trialing. They just want to hunt. Would you say that there's a, a minimum number of dogs that you would recommend to, to go out and hunt on their own, or is just one beagle good enough? One beagle's good enough. You can run with one. And the reason I generally have two beagles is because one of them is – going to be have a sore toe or bunged up or something and still go hunt but i like i like two or three two or three in a pack is good and the guys that i hunt with all got between two and five beagles you know so we go out and we put this set down and so we're putting them down in different orders and and uh two is a good number with all the other stuff that i do two beagles is a good number i had three and i gave one of them to a buddy of mine who had a puppy to start and so he took one, he took a five-year-old. And so I currently have an eight-year-old and a four-year-old. Mm. Um, and probably in the next year or two, I'll get another puppy to start because the old dog is getting old. And, you know, I don't, I don't sell many dogs. Usually when they're, they come here as a puppy, they, they are in a hole in the backyard, you know, at the end. And so 
Uh, I, I don't move many dogs. You know, oh, yeah. I, I get what I like. I know the breeding I like, and I just stick with them until until we're done. You sound like a houndsman on that that front. <laughs> it, and it, it's funny because, you know, you say that, and, like, you probably understand that reference when I say a houndsman because yeah. to to maybe the bird dog listeners that are, are, are listening, if they don't really – if they haven't ever really been around a true houndsman, you know, you were talking earlier about, about the hounds guys uh, going out and just drinking a beer on the tailgate and not shooting – the rabbits, it's, it's a certain lifestyle. You know, I talk about, you know, we go out there with our bird dogs and, and we just want to be out there with our dogs. But at the end of the day, a lot of people I know and the majority of people in the bird dog world, if there's no birds out there or they're not shooting birds, they don't want to go with, with or without their dog. Houndsmen, y- y'all are a different breed to where y'all will go out there, whether it's rabbits, coons, mountain lions, bears, whatever. Bears, cats, yeah. Y'all are out there just for the sheer enjoyment of it, chasing chasing game with your dogs, listening to the music, listening to your dogs sing, and then you, you're perfectly fine not shooting anything and going home. And then that naturally kind of lends itself to what you're describing to where you don't have to have a bunch of rabbit dogs in a pack because more often than not, correct me if I'm wrong, you're probably hunting in a social group to where you have two or three buddies and everybody has their two or three dogs. And then you kind of create the pack that way. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that happens too, um, and some guys can hunt rabbits every day and that lends itself to having more rabbit dogs because you got to have miles. I don't care if it's a bird dog or a hound, you got to put the miles on the dogs to get them where they need to be. And with the bird dog or with the rabbit dog, they need some solo time. They can't be relying on the other parts of the pack. You know, if, if you if you don't do nothing but run that young dog with a pack, will he be a good dog? Well, he could be, but he's not going to be as good as he could be if you give him some solo time because he's not going to have the confidence and the abilities that he would have if you let him run by himself sometimes. You know, yep. the same way with a bird dog. I mean, if you run two bird dogs together all the time, you're going to start to see one generally – is running the front and one is kind of hanging back. Yes. Um, you don't always get competitive dogs that want the front. And so you got to kind of teach that. Yeah. You know, and let them develop and, and mature and, and get confidence. A, a thousand percent. So I, I've actually caught flack from some people that, that have listened to this podcast over the years because I'll say, you know, you always hear somebody will throw out like, I ah, just run them with an older dog. They'll figure it out. And I'm like, I don't like running my young dogs with another dog until they develop a consistent independent hunt because I've hunted with too many dogs that you can just watch as you described in y'all's rabbit packs the dog that's in the back end to where maybe they're not contributing a lot you see the same thing in the bird dog field to where they will start looking or they're hunting for a back they know that I don't need to go find it yeah Yeah. it's it's a crutch and and so those people that swear by just running with an older dog to your point, they may come out to where they're still a decent hunter. I would argue that it held them back and they could be even even a better hunter if you developed them right out of the gate, just one at a time and letting them develop their own natural hunt and figuring it out for themselves. Yeah, definitely. I, I've had more than one old dog trainer tell me the only thing a young dog is going to learn from the old dog is bad habits most of the time. You know, you got to teach them and and, you know, even when I'm, when I'm running dogs for, for, to teach them to quarter, you know, Labradors don't, they just don't do that. You got to teach it. Like a Spaniel comes out of the hole doing it. Right. And so one of the few things that I use another dog 
to teach is I'll let that young dog run behind that old dog just to get in the quarter a little bit. As soon as they do it, we're done. Yeah. Now you're doing it and you're going to go finish learning it. Yep. You know, and that, that's exactly what I say. Like it's, it, it sounds like we're in an echo chamber here because yeah. that's, that's what I tell everybody is like, there's not too many things that I would say a young dog quote unquote learns from an older dog outside of maybe learning how to pace themselves in the field and maybe their range and how to hit objectives and stuff like that. But once you have that, I think it's a little counterproductive if if you're running that young pup with your older dog around the clock. Separate them out, let them become their own hunter, and, and you'll figure out they'll develop their own style. And then you as the handler can figure out how to hunt them together uh, to fit the needs or the conditions better. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd rather have two finished dogs that are completely finished running together uh, than one old dog doing all the work and one young dog along for the ride. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's continue down that path right there. Describe to me what, in your eyes, a quality finished rabbit dog looks like. Well, so it should be a dog that, uh, you know, a lot of dogs that are trial dogs, uh, because we run in pens a lot, big pens, they don't learn how to go find a rabbit. And what you do is you get on the big line, you start walking, you find a rabbit, tally-ho, and you put a dog on a rabbit. Uh, if you want to be a beagle and not spend much time at my house, you make me go find the rabbit, and you're going to be down the road. <laughs> uh, what I want to do is when I, when I drop the tailgate, I put the, the, the garments on, I turn them loose. By the time I get my vest on and my gun loaded, I hope to hear dogs barking with a rabbit going. That fast. I mean, you get out there and you find a rabbit or be <laughs> looking for one. Don't be standing here waiting on me. You know? Right. Yeah. And uh, so you need a dog that's going to find a rabbit and be straight on rabbits. Don't be running no trash, you know. And when you train hounds, you're going to bump into some trash issues now and then you just fix it. And I think that there is a definite genetic component to that. I think some dogs are more apt to be trashy. I don't care if it was a, a blue tick or a plot or a walker or whatever. Some dogs are just bred to be a little bit wound a little tighter and they tend to be a little trashier, which means pay attention and fix it. Where other dogs just don't seem to do that. They just seem to you put them on the right game, keep them on the right game, and they stay on the right game. And um, so you need a dog that can find a rabbit, they can run a rabbit, and only a rabbit. And I prefer my dogs to handle. When I call your name, and you're not running a rabbit. If you're up on the hill messing around, I say, come here. You better be coming. Don't be making me walk up that hill to get you. You know, I'll boil you right off that hill. <laughs> I teach them when they're puppies, obedience, just like I do my bird dogs. When I got you on a leash, don't you be dragging me around. You know, heel means you walk at my heel. Um, and I maybe don't hold them to the level of my bird dogs, but they better come when I call them. And they better walk on a leash. When I tell them to get in the truck, they better get in the truck and sit there until I open the door and let them out, you know, without being crazy. And yeah. some people, uh, you know, it's all what you like. If you don't, if you don't require your hounds to be like that, don't, I don't care. I'm not leading your dog, but mine ain't dragging me around, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, there's something to be said about livability, you know, just because yeah. they're hounds and we, and it's kind of a, 
just uh, it, it can be a little chaotic sometimes, but just because that's how the hunt kind of naturally unfolds right. and progresses doesn't mean that you you have to bang your head against the wall and not have the dog that doesn't have a recall or a heel in, in your case. There's there's a, something called enjoyability when you start talking about hunting and living with dogs, yeah. right? Well, I mean, I, I've got buddies. I mean, they about need a butterfly and have to catch them dogs at the end of the hunt, you know, and, and I just leave them go and I just walk to the truck. You know, yeah. I don't, I'm not, I'm not into that. And it's a little different when you're in a trial because you, you got time, it's time constraints. And so when somebody else pick up blue, if blue's standing there, I'm going to jump on him and catch him for somebody so we can get him, keep the trial going, you know, and, and, um, a lot of the trial guys tend to have a little bit more of a handle on their dogs than some of the just straight out hunters where they just turn them loose and what happens happens, you know, and, uh, um, it just, like I said, it depends on what you're used to. And, and there's some hound guys that, I mean, they don't even name their dogs. Yeah. Then the blue ones then the black one, they just turn them loose, you know, and, and it's just different. And, uh, again, I, that, know, that, that dog got hounds and they all got their names and they all better yeah. mind. Again, that's that houndsman lifestyle that the average uh, bird dogger can't really relate to. I mean, it, it's one of those, If unless you're in the world or you've been hung, hung around it enough, one trial or one hunt isn't enough. It, it's it's hard to paint the picture for the person that's just never really been around true houndsmen. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I say they're a different breed, they're a different breed. Well, you know, these the houndsmen, other, you know, they, they turn their, their hounds loose Monday morning on a track and they hopefully they got them by Monday night, but if not, they come back Tuesday and look at them, yep. look for them. And most bird dog guys, when you talk about, hey, I come home last night and they had to leave three hounds out there, and bird dog guys lose their mind. They'll you lose know? their wives too. <laughs> yeah, yeah so you're exactly right. Your wife will tell you, don't you come home without my dog. My yeah. Baby. Yep. Where's my cuddle buddy? Yeah. Uh, so, Earlier, you, you talked about beagles in terms of 15-inch and 13-inch beagles. Mm-hmm. Describe that to me. Are we talking about to the withers? Are we talking about in length? What what are we talking about when so, 15 so or 13 they, inches? Yeah. So what they'll do is they'll measure them, and they've got a – they measure them to the withers. And they got a uh, like a stanchion with a drop bar on it, and they'll get your dog standing there, and they'll drop the bar down on it. And uh, everything, um, they got to be – 15 inches uh, and down or 13 inches and down. If it's above 13 inches, it's a 15 inch beagle. And so they run them in different packs. Um, Sometimes they'll run them together, but generally not. And so we'll ask you when you register your beagle for the trial to say, did you measure him? And I've seen dogs measure 15 inches on Saturday and measure 13 inches on Sunday, just because how they stood them on the, on the bench. Right. And so I always pre-measure my dogs just so if I get to the winner's pack, they don't say, oh, your dog don't measure now. Let's measure them before we turn them loose. <laughs> then I don't have to worry about it, you know. And and some guys, they don't even measure until the winner's pack. And then they didn't measure. You're measured out. You're done, you know. So, so what's the difference? I'm assuming with it being taller, that's going to change their gait, maybe their speed, the, the cover they're working. Kind of tell me what's the actual difference between the measurements? Well, so I prefer a 15-inch beagle uh, just because I hunt in some snow and some rougher conditions. And I think a dog with a little more leg into them can get around a little better. Uh, I know some 13-inch beagles that are just terrors, and they can – it don't matter. I mean, guys run 13 and 15-inch together all the time. Um, You can have 13 and 15-inch beagles in the same litter. You just don't know. But 
most people breed them. They call them out. I'm breeding for little dogs or big dogs. And um, you really, there, there's not a difference in nose. It's a, on, on a regular day, there's not a big difference in speed. Um, it's just, it's just size, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, they've always done it that way. And I suppose they always will. Um, but they always run two packs, two sizes. And it's, it's whatever you like. You like a little dog, get a little dog. You like a big dog, get a big dog, uh, feed bill ain't going to be much different. <laughs> How much a shovel out the back is not going to be much different. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. you're talking about two inches separating the classifications and not even that in some, some instances, it's like you right. just said, you know, if it just goes above 13 inches, all of a sudden that's a different class. So yeah, you're I, 13 and a quarter, you're, you're, that, that's really interesting. I'd be curious because, you know, going way back when it's, it's always been done that way. I'd be curious to hear their thought process on it when they started it, because you would think for them to, I can't think of another dog class or trial system that separates dogs based on physical height ultimately right uh you know i, I figured or i was assuming that there had to be some kind of reason to where maybe it's just well, an unfair advantage in some regards i don't know yeah i suppose it could be um you know in some instances a little bigger beagle it might have an advantage over a smaller beagle but um you look at i mean it used to be cockers and springers were the same dog and they just as they get they, they separated from by size and you could have a cocker and a springer in the same litter you know years ago mm. and then they separated them out big dogs are springers little dogs are cockers and they started breeding them true you know and i think that probably is similar with with beagles you know i think i know when you're up north running the big dogs running the rabbits up north as hares they like they prefer the bigger legier dogs uh because they're they're running wide open. I mean, it's a top fuel dragsters up there. You yeah. know. Well, if you were listening careful enough, that noise that you heard were a bunch of Springer guys punching the radio, listening to you say that right there. How dare you <laughs> yeah. call my Springer a cocker? <laughs> Originally, it was. Uh, you know. And I mean that that's a good thing. I mean, I I just find it curious. Like you would think that. You, with you being as involved as you are that you would understand that if it was an actual like important quality but as you said you know it's just it's just it is what it is it is what it is I, I've, I've not seen a difference for what i do like i said the reason i, I just like a little more leg under my dog in yeah. the snow um there's guys that run a lot of small dogs down south you know where you're at they, they got them they call them uh blue tails and swamp rabbits they run down there right um and I suppose a little dog can get through that thick stuff maybe a little better than a big dog, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of smaller dogs in the south, but I, I don't think if you set them all on line and run them on a coursing, you know, chasing a hare, I I, I don't know that you're going to see a huge difference in speed in two inches. Right. No, absolutely. It's uh, I, describe the actual hunt for me because I this is one of the few things that I haven't done in the dog world yet is go on an actual true rabbit dog hunt I've seen some guys preparing for a trial I've even seen a trial on on one brace just watching from the sidelines but I haven't been on an actual hunt with them yet as far as I'm aware you know these dogs are supposed to strike them up and then just keep running them until the rabbit crosses your path path and and you shoot it uh, kind of describe to me if that's short-sighted or, or just kind of elementary thinking, or is that really how, how it is just is. 
generally when we hunt, we'll go to a spot where there are rabbits, you know, and it, it might be a bunch of grass with a ditch running through it, or it might be brambles and briars. And so the goal is to get the rabbit to cross in front of you. And most rabbits are going to make a big circle. And so what you generally do, and I, I tell you, with, with the GPS stuff now, it's almost almost cheating, you know. That's why I don't kill a lot of them because I'll watch on my GPS and I can see. I know right where that rabbit started. And a rabbit has a pretty small home area. And most of the year, they stay pretty much in there. There's food, there's water, there's cover. And they're going to stay in that home area. And if you put too much pressure on it, if you got a really fast dogs, a lot of times you'll just hold them rabbits up right away. They're not going to run. And so that's why I like the speed of dog I got, because they can push them pretty good. But, uh, you know, on most rough running condition days, they're just going to keep picking and circling them around. And uh, what you do is you start stationing people that want to get a shot along that path that the rabbit's running. And, um, you know, when it's really thick, you got to say, all right, the rabbit ran across this, maybe a, a driveway opening or a rabbit come across uh, maybe this patch in the hill. And so you're trying to get guys out there where they can get a path and a shot at a rabbit that's crossing and not a path where the rabbit and the dogs are coming right at you. Mm -hmm. uh, if, you know, if, if you see the rabbit and you can hear the dogs behind it, probably not a shot you want to take you hit the hit the hit the dog so you want the, the rabbit coming across so people and the dogs are all in a, a safe area to shoot um, and we don't use rifles we all use shotguns um i use a 28 gauge when i go i got buddies use four tens and 20s and 12 16s whatever um they're not hard to kill um provided you can get where they're going and so uh Sometimes you get a twisty turn, your rabbit likes to crawl through the brush piles and just give you fits. And sometimes you get a rabbit that likes to just light out and, and, and move some country. And later in the season, when you get breeding rabbits, sometimes you'll jump an old buck rabbit that's over at the neighbors, you know, looking for love. And that dog, I mean, you're, you're, you're telling your buddies on the radio, hey, are we sure we're on a rabbit? Because this rabbit's 800 yards out and leaving. And you're looking for white tails and horns running through the woods, you know, but it's just a, a rabbit trying to get back home. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the keep them straight comes pretty, you know, it's pretty important. Um, but uh, it's it just fun to see the rabbits run and the dogs work. And, um, you know, on the trials, you see the rabbit a lot. And then you can see how the dogs react and you can see how you and the judges agree or disagree on what they saw. Because two guys can look at the same thing and see to totally different things you know uh but and they would never is, argue about it would they <laughs> not right there but you could get heated at the clubhouse i mean <laughs> most guys are really professional in the woods but you can see when a guy grits his teeth and walking stiff-legged back the truck he doesn't agree with what he's just happen. grumbling under under just his grumbling. breath <laughs> you know and it, it, it's uh it's it's a it's a there's a lot of good sportsmanship you see more of that than than uh, i've been picked up where i didn't think i should have been picked up the thing about a rabbit trial is it's 15 or 20 bucks where a nab to try what's a nab to trial 100 and yeah 150 yeah it changes kind of different based on chapter but i'd say around 150 175 yeah, so, so, i mean like it's that. most bird dog trials you're spending 100 plus so it's a lot less money at stake and and um it, you know, most guys are there to have fun. And even though the guys are there to win, some it just doesn't happen like that all the time. And so uh, we don't use rifles. Some guys use pistols or 22s. We're shooting on a lot of times frozen ground. 
and safety is kind of of a concern. So we don't use rifles or, or pistols. We use shotguns. Okay. Um, and generally when we're out with a bunch of guys, unless it's my buddies I'm pretty competitive with, we just try to take other people out that maybe don't get the opportunity to try to get them some shooting at some rabbits. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's small game hunting. Small game hunting is the best way to introduce new people to the hunting field, whether they stick with it or not. I mean, I'm sorry. Right. I'd rather take a kid on a squirrel hunt or in this case, a rabbit hunt, as opposed to go sit in a deer blind and not see anything for a full day. Yeah, we do two two learn to hunts with the DNR every year and just take kids out and people. Uh, actually been more older people as of late than kids really that have never had the opportunity you know and, and they they enjoy it you know well, well i mean what's bringing them out to the to the try the hunt are they just kind of sick sick of not knowing where their food comes from or is there, they well, just wanting to see dogs work the state of wisconsin has a has a pretty good program i don't agree with them often but i agree <laughs> with them on this they, they, they have a pretty good learn to hunt and a pretty good mentor program to get people in the to hunter for hunter recruitment um they got good youth seasons uh, they set aside they've got uh dnr funded programs to get people out that um that just don't have much experience and, and want to try it and uh they got the women in the outdoors and they got just a bunch of different things and i think the last one we did last winter we took, I took four guys out with me or four people out with me. One was a husband and wife that had just bought a beagle. Nice. And now, now what am I going to do with this beagle? <laughs> well, they bought a hare hound, so I don't know what they're going to do with that hare hound where they live. But, you know, they, they bought the dog. And now they're trying to find something to do with it. And the other two people were deer hunters that have, over the course of time, just lost their places to hunt deer. And they're looking for something else to do. Mm. And so we took them out and there's... A plethora of public land loaded with rabbits. It's a it's a pretty good opportunity if you're just looking to put a little meat in the freezer and have a good time. Beagles are a good way to go. Yeah, sounds yeah. like it's it's a very similar kind of justification of what, how people come to the bird dog world a lot of times. It is. It's just, yeah. Hey, I got this dog and it's you know chewing. Up, it just ate my car last night in the garage. What do I do yeah. with it? Or or you know I, I'm talking to more and more deer hunters to where whether it's they're tagging out early and they're just bored looking for something to do, or maybe they're just sick of sitting in a deer blind and, and stand and freezing every winter. They want to get out and move around and see, see some different yeah. territory. Well, and you, you've got action right away. Most of the time, mm-hmm. um, even if the hunting is less than optimal conditions, you can usually get a rabbit up and running. And, and, and where I am particularly here, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of places to do it. So, uh, people hold their their deer and their turkey hunting pretty sacred here, and sometimes it's hard to get on that premium ground. But if you're a waterfowl hunter or a rabbit hunter, yeah, you got 300 miles or 400 miles of river bottoms here that are full of ducks and geese and and uh, squirrels and rabbits that you can you can find places to hunt for sure. Yeah. So I know that you said that you don't have to have the big pack to hunt rabbits, but you know, when people, I think, picture rabbit hunting, they picture the bigger pack. What what benefit is there to hunting in a bigger pack? Kind of walk, walk me through how they're actually handling it. Are they kind of splitting up and searching independently until they strike one and then they come together? Or are they all just following each other until the pack as a group strikes up a rabbit? Because if that's well, the case, I don't know what a big pack really justifies, if that makes sense. Cool. A large pack can be really fun or really chaotic because a lot of times when you have a large pack, you end up with two or three different races going on. 
and you need your head on a swivel because there's stuff going on everywhere. But but generally when we go, we run between you know between one and, and six beagles, let's say in a bunch. And when scenting conditions are good, that number works well because the last dog in line can still smell the rabbit. We're on a poor scenting condition day. If your two best beagles out front are struggling, putting four more not as good as them behind them is probably not going to make your day any better. And so the, the day and the scenting conditions kind of determine how we as a group put our dogs down. Um, if, if, if we can put 15 dogs on a screaming hot rabbit track and listen to that roar going through the woods, that's great. We'll do it. Some days that just don't work out real well. So we split either split up or you run your dogs for a while and when they, we'll just switch dogs out as we go. Um, but uh, sanding conditions, I mean, that, that, that's the big determinant factor is how are the dogs running? If the dogs in the back aren't getting no scent, they're going to go do something else and find their own rabbit or who knows what. And putting pressure like that on a young dog is counterproductive. On a, on a rough, on a day where you're struggling, you want your young dog to learn how to grind that out and, and push and, and grind that track. And if he's not getting no rabbit scent because he's a fourth dog back, you're probably going to teach him more, more to quit than anything else and go do something else or get in trouble or whatever. And so usually we'll put a couple of young dogs, a couple old dogs down. And uh, sometimes let's put the young dogs down. And if we're struggling, maybe throw an old dog in there to keep the track going. Cause while the young dogs really aren't learning a lot from the old dogs, sometimes the old dogs experience would keep a track going where the young dog would have broke down and that track would have ended there. A little dog with a little more experience might've ground that rabbit out of there and kept him going. So your race continues. And so there's that pack dynamic too. You know, you got two really good check dogs, but maybe they're a little slower. And so the young dogs get out in front and they're doing the work and then they blow it all to heck. And now the old dogs come and fix this track and away they go, you know? So you just want to make sure you put the right dogs together for the situation to have a productive day. Yeah. Can you put into words what you you think makes up a good sinning condition day? You know, I'm I'm assuming it's probably very similar to us in the bird dog woods, you know, wind and, and humidity and, and the right balance on that. But I'm curious if you look at the forecast, does Brian look at the forecast and be like, it's not even worth going tomorrow morning or Yeah, and I'd still go. <laughs> I'd still go. Even even though I'm like, this is gonna suck, but we're turning them loose. Right. So, so the, I think the barometric pressure has a pretty good, um, it, it seems to me like if the barometric pressure drops and it's not super cold out, that seems to be a good day, a good t- tracking day. If you got powdery dry snow, people think, ah, that's not very good, but it can be pretty good. When you have situations where it's melting out and it's sucking that scent down into the ground, and you yeah. think, oh, it's wet out. It's great running. It's, you just can't get a rabbit going for 15 yards. It just it sucks that scent down. And those days you think you'd be tearing it up. Them rabbits, them dogs just walking the track out. You know, and there's other days where, you know, you can see the dogs running good on the cold side, on, on, on the north side of the hill. They get on the south side in the sun, they can't move track. And so there are a lot of variables. Um, excessive wind can be bad, but a little wind doesn't really matter, I don't think. Um, I think the rabbits have enough scent 
and the beagles have a good enough nose where as long as that scent is on the ground and not getting sucked in and not getting blown away, I think they're going to run it. But if you've got excessive wind, a steady barometer to drop a little bit, I think you have a pretty good day. Yeah. When I'll run down, I usually, I mean, I know the guys running lions out there, they'll run at 20 below. I don't, if it's, if it's 10 degrees and the sun is shining, I'll turn a dog loose. If it's colder than that, I just am not going to turn a dog loose. One, it's not fun for me because I'm so bundled up. And two, um, you're freezing sacks and you're freezing feet and you're freezing noses. And, you know, these aren't, I did a ride sled dogs. These are beagles. <laughs> I don't need to be running in that stuff. And, and I hold the same thing with my bird dogs. If it's 10 degrees and sunny, I'll hunt. If it's colder than that, generally, I'll just, yeah. we'll, we'll wait for a better day. Yeah, musher yeah. secret and bag bomb only goes so far. <laughs> That's right. I got them both in the truck. <laughs> Most houndsmen yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, man, I mean, it, it's really interesting. T- talk to me about the different makeup in the dogs. Like, do you find that in beagles, they generally have the the – what drives them? Is it the same reward or is it kind of like our bird dogs where some, some dogs just prefer the chase. Some dogs really need to get the bird in their mouth, uh, to feel rewarded. Some dogs really care about just making their owners happy. You know, is, is, do you kind of see the same kind of traits or drives built into the beagles or all of them just bred to just chase? Beagles is a, they're genetically bred to put their nose in a track and go. Now there are a, a lot of different personalities. Um, you know, uh, some dogs have the patience to really grind and, 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 and work an old track. And some dogs are like, man, this sucks. I'm going to go find something else to do. And they're <laughs> right. going to look for it. And so, um, and I think that genetic lines tend to be similar and you can find different personalities within them genetic lines. Um, you can find a dog that if it's not up and running, they're out. And you can find other dogs that will grind on a cold track and grind and grind and grind. Um, and I think that when you're hunting as a pack, well, a little bit of variance in temperaments and ability is okay if you start having broader diversity in that, you tend to have a rougher running pack where they're not all cohesive, similar, they're, they're a little bit different. And so now you got some dogs want to go over here and do this. And some dogs want to go over there and do that, that, um, and, and again, it's, it's, it's what you like. I mean, uh, some guys got dogs. They'll just pick, pick, pick at a cold track and you'll freeze to death sitting on the tailgate, waiting for that dog to jump <laughs> that rabbit. And some dogs are, some guys like, man, I, first thing I do is not shoot another rabbit. I'm shooting that dog. <laughs> you know, and the other guy says, you know, if, if that dog's barking, you better be hot on a rabbit's track, you know? And so there's just so many different ideas of what's the right rabbit dog. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's guys that run rabbits with, with, with tackles and, and dachshunds. And there's guys that run rabbits with draughts and there's guys that run rabbits with beagles and there's guys that use basset hounds and they all do it different. And as much as those breeds do it different, you can look within the beagle breed and find dogs and beagles that do it just about as different you know yeah. i mean my buddy's got draughts and we go up grouse hunting his draughts are out there chasing stupid rabbits <laughs> and so when he got a truck and i know there's rabbits there you go that way i'm going this way yeah. i don't want to watch your dog chasing rabbits but 
it's part of their German testing and they do that, you know? Right. Well, and I, I've shot, I've shot rabbits for, for each of my dogs, Lucy and yeah. Rachel over the years. It's opportunistic though. Like I've never right. taken them out targeting them. Uh, Rachel's actually caught two. Uh, she's pointed and then, you know, I'll go in there thinking it's a grouse or something It flushes and it, and the way I flush is I'm coming back towards the dog on point. And so and when I flush it, by him. yeah, and, and she has caught two of them just going right by them. And then, uh, Lucy, you know, I'll just take her out kind of like the way I squirrel hunt with them. I'll have her at heel or something. And then if I see a rabbit, I'll shoot it and then just send her to retrieve it. So it's not sure. really rabbit hunting. It's just retrieving a rabbit. But, uh, you know, I, I've heard, and I've actually seen one guy where he targeted fur too much with his bird dog, and more specifically, his his issue was squirrels. And mm-hmm. so, when you're down here in the south, and there's not a whole lot of bird opportunities, and you're constantly shooting squirrels for them, your dog's gonna stop looking for birds and start looking for <laughs> squirrels. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was really funny watching that Griff. You know, is a, a hell of a squirrel dog, <laughs> but. It, you know, she found a lot of squirrels for us. But to your point, you know, if you're going out constantly targeting them uh, with your bird dog, that could shut them down from hunting birds. Yeah, you know, I, so I got a, a couple of Boykin Spaniels and my older one. I mean, once in a while, I'll take him with me when I'm running the beagles. The only reason I take him with me is because sometimes I'm shooting that rabbit in a pretty gnarly place. Yeah. And I can say back and you crawl in there like a mink and get him out of there i ain't got to crawl in that nasty stuff well and uh, one of my beagles retrieves he'll pick him up and bring him back and the other one will smell him when he's dead and he's gone he don't care that's exactly what i was about to ask yeah that's what i was about to ask is you know you shoot the rabbit you have this group of dogs small or big pack following it and chasing it for however long and they're yelling at it you finally shoot it it dies I would think that the pack would just want to tear the rabbit apart if it's chasing it for that long, but you're saying that it, again, it depends on each individual dog. Yeah. I've seen dogs that, that, uh, and my uncle used to, every time he'd kill a rabbit, he'd give the dog the head, the dog would eat it. Yeah. And I just like, you're teaching your dog to eat rabbits and that's not what we want to do. But most of the dogs that I've had, my buddies have, they might go up there and give them a shake, but they're bred to run like a, like a coyote hound wants to chase he don't really care about the catch it's about to chase and i think most of the beagles i've had have been similar to that like you know um copper will pick it up and bring it to you and say look dad look i got and put it in your hand and then he's off and going and buck will give it a smell and he's like all right let's go find another one yeah and you know most beagles i think are similar to that um but some of you're going to eat them yeah you know some of them are going to go take them and bury them off in the woods it just depends on the dog but uh you know, when my dogs are puppies, and we're I'm rolling the tennis ball up and down the hallway, trying to get them to pick it up and just kind of teach that. Yeah. And out of all the years I've been having rabbit beagles, which is a long time, I've had four that would pick it up and bring it to me. Mm. The other ones would smell it, look at me, and walk off, you know? Yeah. Well, th- this might be a, a, a really dumb question, but maybe not. Uh, have you ever seen or maybe done yourself or, or heard of somebody force-fetching their rabbit dog? I have not, and I force-fetch an awful lot of dogs. And the reason that I don't do it to a rabbit dog is because sometimes uh, I, I think that you may be encouraging them to maybe – a hound, I don't care what you say, is not as smart as most bird dogs. They're a little simpler. And I, I just assume that they just left the rabbit alone 
and I'll go pick it up rather than have a chance of one having a dog fight over it because yeah. we don't have control and there are four or five or six dogs over there where I have a little more control over my Labrador or my Spaniel uh, where I, you know, I teach my dogs to come when I call them and lead on a leash. Other than that, my, my, my beagles don't have a whole lot more control than that. Everything I do with them is pretty much genetic. Yeah. They just are going to do what they're going to do and I'm guiding them the right way. So um, I, I, it, it, it could work or it could cause you problems. Right. So if I got one that likes to pick them up and bring them to me, I'll encourage it. But I, I, it's not that important. I mean, yeah. most rabbits, when you shoot them are within, I can see it over there. You know, yeah. if it's, it's not like a snow goose sailing across the field and I got to send them 500 yards <laughs> on a blind retreat. Right. I mean, yeah. it's a shotgun. You're waiting for an open shooting lane. So you should at least see where it, it lands yeah. or, or goes. I'm curious with, you know, to, to kind of piggyback on this as we start winding down on this with given your experience with hounds and bird dogs, you you just said that the the hounds typically aren't as smart as as the average bird dog. I wonder if that goes back to the type of person or the ha- typical houndsman that we've described a few times on this podcast. Do you think with enough time or energy or focus, if the rabbit houndsman put emphasis on those puppies or dogs that have that natural proclivity to retrieve. Do you think over time you could build uh, a, a more intelligent, more well-rounded, versatile rabbit dog? Um, I don't know. The reason I say that, and I'm not saying they're stupid. What I'm saying <laughs> is most versatile dogs and retrieving a spaniel breeds, are they have more trainability bred into them. Yeah. So they're bred to, I mean – a Labrador, basically, I mean, I could teach one to stand them on their head in three days, just about, you know, <laughs> right. I, I, with a beagle, it might take me quite a while. Yeah. And so I, th- I think that it's, 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 it's a necessity for what the dogs are bred for, you know, uh, uh, beagles and coyote hounds and blue ticks, stuff like that. They're bred to put their nose in a track and you do what you do. Yes. Where a Spaniel or a Labrador there is a genetic component to that, but a lot of the is trainability. Yeah. They're, they're, you take the best trainable dogs, bred to the best trainable dogs to get your, your result where, you know, I can't catch that beagle with a, you know, with a butterfly net, but man, he's on fire running a rabbit. I'm going to raise a pup out of him, you know? Right. And so you look at your end goal and trainability over the years and years and years, I think has been not trainability has not really been a consideration yeah. For most hound breeds. Yeah. Where it trainability is a huge deal with versatile breeds and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I think. And, and I, I would agree with that. I'm not advocating to t- try and take a, a hound and turn it into, uh, you know, a versatile dog. I was just curious that, you know, you, you said that offhand and, and it just kind of sparked the question for me because I, I, I would agree with you. I had my red bone coon hound and, and I trained him up to a certain level to where most people that knew hounds came over and they'd be like, Man, like you got you got that red bone to to that level of obedience, and to your point, it was banging my head against the wall to do it. I got him there to do certain things, but at the end of the day, he honestly couldn't have given two craps if he made me happy. (laughs) He just wanted to follow that nose. So, like to your point, like you can get there with them, but why would you want to, you know, these hounds and dogs have been here for centuries with us and they, they do what they do. Great is what they do. Great. And, right. and 
don't try and turn them into something that they're not. And but us as people, you know, we've been kind of known to try to do that with certain breeds over time is trying to take something that they're not and turn it into something that we wish they were instead of just going to get the breed that that is what they do or specialize. That's why that's why versatile guys. I can I just rail on them because <laughs> you go get your short here and we're going to run 500 yard blinds and I'm going to bring my Labrador, you know, and yeah. I can just, but, 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 um, you know, you look at some like terrier breeds, like, uh, Airedales and, and, and Jag terriers and stuff like that. I mean, you look at dogs that, that have ability and nose almost like a hound, tenacity of a terrier those are still fairly trainable little dogs you know you can train them where i know i could train a jag terrier to do more things quicker than it could my beagles oh yeah but i mean you look at i mean they're using beagles for uh in airports to find uh narcotics and and whatnot in in, in airports and they're using them for tracking um blood trailing deer and stuff i mean so they're not it isn't they're they're dumb you just have to look at what they're strong at and say, okay, we're going to use that, but we're going to focus on some other things and try to train around or use what we have to, to, to get, you know, more out of them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I, I've, I've seen that a lot with, uh, feist as well, you know, the squirrel dogs where, you know, you, you compare a feist to maybe a cur or something and some people want the cur just, you know, they're kind of the knockout drag out squirrel dog, but the feist it's, it seems like there's a little more trainability in them, but, but my buddies that have feist that, you know, I have one in particular, he comes and he brings her over and she cracks me up. She's a, just a funny dog. And, (laughs) But she still doesn't care to make him happy at all. She does a lot of stuff, and she's she's always around. But her first deal is still, you know, what makes her happy. <laughs> she lives right. within that those boundaries. But uh, Brian, I mean, what a, we kind of covered a lot of ground. Nothing in too big a detail. Is there something that we glossed over or missed that we we would be remiss if we didn't touch on? In your opinion? No, I just think that uh, you know when you. When, when it comes to time, time to pick out a dog, whatever kind of dog you're picking, I think a lot of people go at it at a, at a little bit backwards way. I mean, you want to find a dog that hunts what you hunt, how you hunt, where you hunt, and when you hunt, and find a dog that fits that description rather than going and buying a dog and say, okay, now what? You know, now, now I got this beagle. Well, you really didn't intend to be a rabbit hunter, but now this beagle has guided you on your path to be a rabbit hunter, where if you predetermine what you're looking for in your end goal, get the correct dog. I mean, sometimes, you know, you're, you're a, uh, a big game hunter and you like to shoot deer and you like to hunt rabbits a little bit. Well, maybe, you know, maybe a tackle or a, uh, a, uh, uh, dachshund is exactly what you need because you can train that you can run rabbits with that dog and you can still go find your blood shot blood track your deer you know and so just if you want a rabbit dog you better be a rabbit hunter you know don't 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 get your 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 rabbit dog and say okay we're gonna do other things with it because you may be disappointed you know or just get the right dog for your purpose yep yeah and that's that's valuable information and good advice for anybody in any side of the dog world, bird dogs, hound dogs. It, it doesn't matter, even even just house dogs. You know, get. Yeah, I mean, get this, the, a rabbit beagle is not something you're going to turn loose out the front yard and go go mess around because he's going to be gone. He's going to go where his <laughs> nose leads him. Where your Labrador might just you can train him to stay in the yard. You know, right? Beagle, you're going to struggle with. Oh yeah. 
No, yeah. it makes sense. Well, Brian, I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoy my uh, occasional break from the bird dogs to kind of go back into the hound dog world. Uh, you know, I appreciate it. If you hold on tight, listeners, st- stay tuned for the outro and uh, hope everybody enjoyed this. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this conversation on Rabbit Dogs with Brian Steesher. This was presented by Standing Stone Supply, DT Systems, Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Uh, this was a topic that I've been wanting to address for a while now. You know, I, I've I've personally never been able to follow a pack of hounds on rabbits. It's something that I want to do in the near future because. In its simplest form, rabbit hunting is just small game hunting, which to me equals fun. You know, there's other ways to have fun in big game hunting, but small game hunting to me is uh, tends to just always be the more fun option. And and you add a pack of hounds and a pack of dogs to it, and uh, I'm all in. So eventually, I have plans on trying to do that this year. But hopefully, you enjoyed that. And and another thing, I'm not gonna stay too long on the outro this week and I'm going to kind of skip the typical housekeeping stuff for the podcast but uh small game equals early successional habitat right without the early successional habitat or the right habitat overall you're not going to have the small game you're not going to have the birds that we care about you're not going to have the rabbits that we care about you're not going to have the squirrels that that we like to chase with our feist or curs or any of that stuff and right now uh if you check the show notes down below, you're going to see a link for the USDA Forest Service public comment period. There is a lot of people doing a big public comment campaign, essentially. You can call it whatever you want on on this USDA public comment period to where they're trying to claim that they shouldn't cut or harvest timber anymore, or at least to the degree that we are currently doing it, which is not enough, in my opinion. And they're trying to claim that they're not going to do it because old growth forest is needed due to climate change. So for whatever it's worth, I I have a feeling you guys can kind of understand my take on this. I think we need to cut more trees. I think we need more habitat. And, uh, the Forest Service hasn't been meeting their quota or their commitment year after year for, you know, for a decade or two plus already. And now they're trying to get out of doing even more. So if you have five seconds, you know, I'm not going to give you my normal spiel on how to support the podcast or any of that stuff. Just go down below, hit that link, send a public comment to the USDA in regards to the Forest Service campaign on this. If you go through, you can actually read the previous public comments left by other people, you can see that there's a, the vast majority of comments is just kind of a copy paste thing from other people claiming that climate control is caused by cutting too many trees and we have to have old growth. And that's just not the fact of the matter. We we have enough trees on the landscape. So I'm going to keep this outro super short. That's, this is kind of my call to action. If you can click that link below, leave a public comment, leave a comment, let them know that you're for more timber harvest. And it that's really, no matter who we've had on the podcast talking about this, they're all in agreement that, that car, when it comes to carbon sequestration, that early successional forest does a better job than old growth forest. So again, I'm not going to go on too much longer. I'm I'm not I'm not a biologist. I'm not I'm just a guy that loves to hunt these birds in early successional habitat and 
for us to do that. We have to make sure that these agencies and government agencies are doing what they're there for and what they're committed to. And not only have they failed to do that in the past number of years, now it seems like they're trying to get out of it even more. So just take five seconds, fill that out. I would really appreciate it. Hit that subscribe button on the podcast. Be sure to check back next week because I have an exciting episode next week. We have another legend coming onto the podcast. It's one I'm really excited for you people to listen to, and I hope you get a lot of enjoyment. Thanks for hitting download and play on this one. I appreciate it as always, and we'll check back next week. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just after replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.